Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello everybody and welcome back to the 60th episode of Breaching Extinction. This week we have a very special episode. It is a podcast within a podcast. So um, we do have a new and upcoming Southern Resident Killer Wear podcaster named Jim Whitehead. Um, And so I do a little interview before and then we play an episode of his podcast, which is super awesome. And I'm super excited to share that with you guys. Um, Before we get started, though, I do want to share our whale of the week. So that's going to be Ocean Sun L25. She's the oldest living L pod whale that we know. We think that she was born in 1928. Um, She's outlived her immediate family and Mega was her son. That's L41. He died in late 2019. Um, and she is the oldest living whale in the Southern Resident community. There's no evidence for this, but there are some people that suspect that she is the mother of Lolita, aka Tokite, um, who is the Southern Resident killer whale who is down at the Miami Sea Aquarium. Um, but yeah, so that's our whale of the week, and we're just gonna have a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash breachingextinction and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's easy. Go to audible.com slash breachingextinction. Alrighty, guys. Welcome back to Breaching Extinction. This week, I have Jim Whitehead with me here, and he's a brand new podcaster. He's going to tell us a little bit about himself and his new project, um, with his podcast called Seaquarium Shame. So, Jim, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, etc.? Okay, uh, thank you, Erica, for having me on your podcast. Um, the name of my podcast is Seaquarium's Shame. Um, it is a podcast which is dedicated to the Southern Resident Killer Whales, and included in that dedication is uh, Tokatai, uh, otherwise known as Lolita, who is a Southern resident killer whale that has been in captivity in Miami at the Miami Seaquarium for uh, over 50 years, Uh, just a little over 19,780 days she has spent in this very small uh, tank. And so uh, I've lived on the coast a really long time. Um, I, I... I have lived on Vancouver Island for the past 22 years. Um, and for much of that time, I've lived on the water uh, in a floating cabin uh, or a, a boat. And so I'm quite connected to the sea. Uh, it's a super uh, important part of my life and my identity. And by extension, the Southern Resident Killer Whales are, are something that I care about quite a lot. Um, I'm also, you know, like personally uh, a vegan and I care quite a lot about animal welfare. Mm-hmm. And so the issues of what uh, are taking place with Lolita are close to home to me uh, on, a, on a different level, even though they are about the sea and about the Southern residents as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, 
uh, I have a history of activism as well. Um, in my 20s, I was uh, involved with the Friends of Clockwood Sound, which your listeners might know about. Yeah. They're from Tofino. Uh, they've done a lot of activism. So I was protesting fish farms uh, even 20 years ago when they were first starting to, to happen um, You know, in the Clockwood biosphere. And I protested logging and ultimately was arrested and I spent some time in prison for, for those efforts. Uh, and that taught me you know, to not necessarily put myself physically in front of issues because going to jail was really tough mm-hmm. uh, to say the least. And at, and at the end of the day, they just cut down the forest that I was trying to uh, stop from being logged and those trees are gone now. So nothing was accomplished except for I really uh, messed up my life um, is how it kind of actually played out despite my intentions being really good. Uh, you know, so fast forward a few years, um, I started a, a project called the Jellyfish Project with a good friend of mine, Daniel Kingsbury. Uh, the Jellyfish Project is still going today. Uh, so about five years ago, along with a friend, we started a, a project called the Jellyfish Project, mm-hmm. which brought a live rock and roll concert into uh, elementary and secondary schools. Mm-hmm. And the band would perform a show and then do an environmental presentation on ocean sustainability after the presentation. So it was really unique. Um, the band would play a live rock show, which grabbed everyone's attention. The, and then the same band would then transition into this uh, conversation about ocean sustainability. And the point of it was to show that it was cool to care about the environment. Yeah. You know, that it wasn't just like a lame thing that science nerds did that rock and roll guys were using their platform to uh, showcase these issues as well. And so that project taught me a lot about how to place music and issues together. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that it really taught me was that like music opens up emotional pathways in the brain. Mm-hmm. And so if you can sandwich messaging with music, and especially if you can take music that people are like uh, familiar with or like already, and already have an emotional association to it. Mm-hmm. And then you can jam in your message to that music. You, it's like a it's like a hack to the brain. So you can take a message and you can pair it with music and drive it into person's world in a way that is deeper and more meaningful than just if you said the words or if you just played the song. So with my podcast, uh, I'm trying to take people on an exploration of the world's Mm-hmm. around the southern resident killer whales you know and those worlds are very co- complex worlds there are many people in those worlds there are many sounds in those worlds um there are many opinions in those worlds right and all of them are like all happening at once and if anybody follows this issue of the southern resident killer whales or of Tokusai, you, there's a thousand voices you know and they're mm-hmm. all wanting to be heard and they're all wanting to say the right thing that changes everyone's hearts, you know, and it's like this, this, uh, uh, there's this amount of audio around this topic, which is unbelievable. And so part of the project for me is to try to take all of this decades of media that has been produced around these animals Mm -hmm. and to try to showcase how the opinions have been evolving and how the reality is not getting better you know, and, yeah. and, and uh, the other thing that I wanted to add is that, you know, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a naturalist. Um, although I'm an environmentalist, that doesn't really qualify me for anything. It just means I care a little bit too much about things <laughs> at the end of the day. And I wish that more environmentalists were honest about that. 
you know, mm-hmm. they're not specially qualified. They just care more. Mm-hmm. And that empathy is qualification in and of itself is what I believe. And it certainly qualifies me to make the podcast in the way that I have, you know? Yeah. Uh, you're not going to hear my voice in there. I'm not, I'm the host of the podcast, but I'm not really in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more about, like I said, the worlds around the Southern residents mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm also trying to make the podcast ultimately be a positive thing something that inspires and leaves people feeling uh positive yeah as much as the topics in it suck yeah sometimes i still think it's possible to retain hope you know i wanted to ask you about um that article you talked about it the other day can we talk about it as part of your podcast too yeah the the one that said there's not hope left yeah uh the outside magazine yeah article with I talked to um, I talked to Ken's brother mm-hmm. Howard Garrett for my podcast last mm-hmm. week, and I asked him that same question, and he 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 answered me very honestly. He said, "Practically, it feels as though yes, like there's they're going to go extinct because X X and X." But then he said, "You know, there's this part of him that like is still hopeful that the people." will just they should just sort of rise up like some everyone will just wake up tomorrow and really just be like we need to change and it'll it'll sort of somehow the wave will come over people yeah and and you know then and he said he said if that happens they're good to go you know we can totally recover from where we're at i just want to know what you think um yeah so i definitely have some thoughts on that i think that both ken and howard are valid in their feelings of feeling hopeless. Both of these men have dedicated their life to understanding these orcas. Um, and, and they're why we understand so many things that we do about orcas. And I can totally understand why they would feel depressed at this point and, and feel like there's no hope. I also think that Howard is right, that if we all rally and we get on this, that we can make it happen. And I have had, I, I've gotten like so many random phone calls in the last like two weeks about things like highly confidential information from a variety of parties about things that are happening with the southern residents that i can't discuss right now um but what i can say is like it's getting done and like things are happening and i see people rallying and like you know it may not seem like that's what's going on because a lot of these groups are not being public about it um and because they can't because they have to be strategic in the way that they do things but like if we can get the the public to continue to rally because we all have a place in this um which is something i kind of wanted to say when you were saying that you're not qualified and you know maybe in the sense of like you don't have biological training but at the same time i really don't like that kind of attitude because i feel like it makes it like exclusive i think anybody who wants to be here and who's willing to learn has the right and has the space and is qualified to be here like you can make your own qualifications you can go and access these papers and study things like if you have that motivation and like the resources to do so um but yeah no i think i understand where where ken is coming from and if things continue the way that they are right now I don't think it's going to go well, but I think so many people have rallied and you and I had a good conversation about the whale watching industry before we started recording. And like, if we got the entire whale watching industry on board and we had people like if there were actions that you could take, um, or if they told every single person or had every single person on their boat, write a letter or give the option to write a letter or something like that, like we could get more done. But 
I do see things happening behind the scenes that will probably become more public. Realistically, based on just like what I know, I see the dams going down in two years. That is just my thought though. I like, but I could be wrong, but I do have a lot of hope because I see all these other people. And I think maybe if Ken and, and Howard need to take a step back and take a break, that'd be valid. Like if they need to like take a, you know, a minute away from the Southern residents, that would be okay. And there's enough of us who are passionate enough that like, you know, we can, we can be a placeholder for a moment if they need to like grieve and process like all the emotions. Cause this is emotional, like you said, which is why like you're doing this whole podcast. I think it's only emotional. I mean, I know there is science and facts here, but what we're really talking about is losing something irreplaceable. And I don't know if you've ever made a mistake in your life where you like just can't come back from that mistake. And there's a certain feeling when you make those really big mistakes that like sits in your stomach mm-hmm. and in your chest and it's the worst feeling ever. And I don't I think that what we're all freaking out about actually is the idea that we're going to wake up one day and they're going to like just be gone like there'll be a water without southern resident killer whales in it and we're all collectively going to have to like have that feeling you know yeah it's like it's like it's like a bad mistake coming in slow motion that you can see approaching you you know yeah it's quite it's quite terrifying in a way actually isn't it it is terrifying and i and like before the podcast like you and I had kind of talked about like, you know, some of these, like a lot of the issues, it's not salmon, it's not toxins, it's literally people and, and people's choices, you know, because um, the salmon didn't do anything wrong. But like, I think part of it, like too, is like, we know that that we have that hovering over us of like, we don't want to have that big mistake, but there's, you know, members of the community who are not willing to admit their impact on the animals. And I think it's because that they don't want to admit that they're contributing to this thing. But like you're you're pushing yourself closer to that feeling that you're trying to avoid by not admitting that there's a problem and not changing it if that makes sense Oof, that's that's a deep insight actually i mean isn't that just human nature yeah yeah it's i wow. think there's hope. yeah i know there's like i i've really enjoyed talking to you on your podcast and then before this and the other correspondences um because it's funny because like, I mean, I I was asking you earlier because you've made it pretty known that you're, you know, anti-whale watching. And we talked a little bit about that. And I'm curious, you know, I want my listeners to hear how your journey with that has changed. But um, I work in the whale watching industry and and we've talked about this. And I think it's um, like you and I can set an example of how we can sit down and have a conversation and how we are absolutely on the same team 100% at the end of the day of like, let's help the Southern residents. And I don't think that there needs to be any boat near the Southern residents, especially not a whale watch boat. And, um, you know, I like, there are so many human issues that we have to fix because if you and I let that get in the way of our conversation of us trying to help the whales or us working together, like things wouldn't happen. You know, it's more important at the end of the day, even if we do disagree on like a pretty big fundamental issue to set that aside and focus on what we can together, you know? You know what, that's so, such a good point because one of the things that fuels a lot of like personalities and debates is, is disagreeing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so being able to set an example of like, yeah, we come from different places, you and I, mm-hmm. and actually we disagree on some things, but mm-hmm. we're able to discuss them just like, like you should be able to talk to somebody that you don't agree with, with total respect. Yes. That should be something that is, that is uh, like showed to us more 
as an example in media or in schools, all the places that it should be showed to us, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not, unfortunately. So, you know, I, I thank you for welcoming me on the show, you know, and letting me have my perspectives. And, um, I've noticed when I listen to your show that like you are able to, uh, hear new information and let your perspectives develop and change. And I think that's really brave. Um, you know, in my um, earlier attempts to become involved in this issue, I think I was coming at it from a place of anger and of frustration, which felt very justified at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and, you know, I've gone through some personal growth uh, outside of just this issue, which mm-hmm. has really changed my perspective. And I've learned that, you know, in the noise about the debates, the sound that is actually getting lost is the sound of these dying orcas. And so that's actually where my insight for making the podcast kind of came from. It's Mm -hmm. like, as much as the podcast is a celebration of all the voices, it's also a mirror to all of those voices for themselves as well. And for myself included, you know what I mean? And I think that reframing people's dialogues back at them Mm -hmm. in the way that I've done is going to hopefully just just like refresh people's thinking on this issue because one of the things that is problem is that we're very stuck in our in our ways and I know I was yeah and I know I kind of put myself in a corner and I was ready to defend that position Mm -hmm. and it it was uh you know it took a lot to recognize that that wasn't right Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't smart necessarily right you know and I'm definitely not perfect yet or still or ever Ever, yeah (laughs) um (laughs) I know that the way I'm doing things now is more accessible and it's something that more people can be invited to participate in. Mm -hmm. And that's really the goal, you know, and and actually if I really go back and I think about when I was protesting logging and I ended up in jail, that was like an ultimate expression of how taking a side can really blow up on you, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and if you can actually, um, figure out a way it, what like when I was when I was getting when I was in the court and I was going through my trial process I represented myself and at the end of the process the judge was handing me down my sentence and he said this thing to me which I'll never forget he said you're a you know you're a bright young guy you obviously care a lot about this issue but you're going about it in entirely the wrong way mm-hmm. He said, you know, I'm a magistrate and I'm here to sit on one particular very narrow issue, which is, did you breach a court injunction? Mm-hmm. And he goes, and yes, you did. And so despite all of your arguments as to why you breached that court injunction, I have no choice but to find that you breached the court injunction and to punish you. Mm-hmm. And he said, but the reason I'm going to send you to prison is so that you can think about better ways to achieve your objectives. And actually, the other people that were arrested in the same event were given a house arrest and I was sent to a correctional institution to think about it, as he said. So mm-hmm. that's what I got for being so self-empowered and representing myself and feeling so self-righteous in my efforts to save things, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, and like, I really do mean it. Like when I say that activists need to be honest about what qualifies them as an activist is that they just care more mm-hmm. and that's enough. It like, that's doesn't need enough. any, it does not need any other thing. And, and I hope that when people listen to you, they get inspired that, you know, uh, and especially in this podcast episode that, you know, you, you've come from Ohio, which what the f- does Ohio have to do with killer whales? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. But yet here you are doing it, like doing it well, 
doing it on the daily. And I think that's very inspirational, that story, you know, I do. Right. And, and so I just want to encourage everybody listening who cares about this to recognize that they too can be involved and make a difference. Absolutely. And it's not too late. I mean, it, like it, it is, it is totally justifiable for Ken to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Any person who's done anything a very long time and not seen it succeed would be, would be, would give the same kind of tone to an interview. Yeah. No, no. And, and I understand uh, that. And, and whether they're, um, whether it's too late or not, I still think it's an issue worth talking about and we're watching something happen to them and to us in mm-hmm. real time. That is fascinating. Whether it's fascinating for a good way or fascinating in a dark way it is fascinating what's happening. It's absolutely like, this is so yeah. interesting and like, it is so dark sometimes. And, yeah. um, but like, it's funny, like I had a conversation with, um, somebody who I just met that's a part of this movement because everybody there's so many people come out of the woodwork all the time you think you've met everyone and then you you never have um but I was talking to this girl and she was like um asking me about like you know like how do I make this podcast happen and things like that and I like think she was asking more about like the finances behind it and everything and like all of this is done in my free time and she kind of was like you just do this because you have to don't you and like she just like i was talking to her for five minutes and she just like understood that in my heart I can't not like I can't it's like I wake up and like quite literally it's like eat sleep breathe southern resident repeat like that's it like I mean I go to work and like I have to do the basic things to meet my needs but like that's all around southern resident or that's all around Wales anyways you know um but you just I don't know there's something we got to do and you're totally right like I hope that people listening know that they have more power than they think um and anyone can do anything. I, I've, I've had this girl, I believe her name's Mary, um, message me on Instagram a few times if you're listening. Hi, Mary. Um, but she's asked like what she can do from Georgia. And I'm like, you can write um, your representatives and ask them to back Mike Simpson. So anybody from any state can do that. Um, you can write Senator Inslee yourself. I always recommend going to PNW Protector's website and looking at all of the politicians that you can write because the scientists have done the work on what what we know needs to be done. So you can educate yourself, you can reach out to politicians, and then just talk to people, you know? Like, this whole podcast was just made up out of thin air, honestly. And, like, you can literally just make something up for the whales and just make it happen, you know? I second that because I just made up my podcast too mm-hmm. and in my spare time with no you know you don't need someone to come by and give you permission and say no. here's permission to get started in this you just give yourself that permission and you're just like I, we're doing this yeah and i think but it's, a lot it's, of- it, it's it's harder than that too isn't it it's like it sounds so simple when you say it out loud but i mean i don't know about you but my like i started the podcast five times and then i, I recorded like a bunch of stuff and i threw it out at first it was just me talking about stuff and then i was like no i don't want to do that yeah. and you know it, it, it takes some trust that it's going to be okay and it's going to work. But you know what? You do it anyway because even if it, even if not a single person listens, it still scratches an itch inside you that needs taking care of. You know, like you got to do something in the face of these realities. You can't just sit on your hands and do nothing. That feels very frustrating. It feels very frustrating. And I think that was part of the motivation, but like behind me starting it. I remember like specifically one captain that I had and one other naturalist that I worked with in Washington. Like, we would talk about wanting the dams to be breached, and those two were so negative, and they were like, oh, those are never going to be breached, and they just did nothing, and they just, like, you know, clung to that narrative because it looked hard, and, like, I'm, like you said, you can't just, like, sit there and twiddle your thumbs and, and 
hope that it gets better in a sense. And like, I, like I know personally for me at the end of the day, like even if the Southern residents did go extinct, God forbid, um, I would know that I did everything that I could. And not everybody needs to have that same fire, you know, like every, if you write one letter one time, that's still something. If you write a letter once a week or you make a phone call every day, everything contributes to something. Um, but yeah, that's, I agree. You don't have to dive all the way in. You don't have to go crazy and make podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and, and uh, I think what people struggle with a lot of the time is like, how do I make a difference when I've come to love and care about something? Mm-hmm. And I think the first thing is just coming to love and care about it. You know, Yeah. right. When, when I listen to everybody talk about the Southern residents, what I get most fascinated by and like doing the podcast, I listen to people like over and over again and a lot, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm editing and you're, you're the same way, I'm sure. It's mm-hmm. like everyone deeply cares about this. 100%. And, you know, who told who told everybody that they should deeply care about this? Who gave every single one of those people permission to be so passionate? Right. So there's something about these Southern resident orcas that e- evokes something in humans. Mm-hmm. And I don't know other animals that do that. I don't know another group of animals that everyone is like, this is this animal's name and that animal's name and they're a family. And like, you know, I don't know another group of animals that are Instagram stars the same way. And this, there's something about the Southern residents that is like, uh, and, and so part of, part of what I'm trying to do is figure out what that something is exactly. Because if we can maybe figure out what that something is and, and share that something with everybody, then everybody would, potentially start to care about it just as much as we all do. I think so. It's like, like, I think the main thing is trying to connect people with what that special thing is and the science and the debates and stuff. That's the noise in which the noise of the whales is, is sometimes lost by. Yeah. You know, and people hear a lot of the debate and they like, I just want everyone to say why they love whales deeply, honestly, like, like their five-year-old kid self, like why do they really care about this? You know? And I, and I think that that's where we're going to get as like that's yeah, yeah. I, know we, I know we need practical solutions and pragmatic action and plans and execution all those things yes okay but but what actually gets somebody to do it is they have to love it and they have to care about it and when that and when someone loves and cares about something they'll do they'll do anything like immediately yeah they'll move mountains absolutely you know people will people will astonish you with what they can accomplish in a short time if they really want to and so how do you make people really want to just solve this issue? And the issue, of course, isn't, is, is, um, is like spoken to us in, yes. the, in the language of orca whale. But yeah. the issue is, in fact, an ecological issue that is the entire coast. It's like every tree needle and blade of grass over the entire Pacific Northwest is wrapped up in this issue. Absolutely. And the orca, they're just the final expression of it. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. where are the stories getting told? No, I 100% see that. And I think people love them because in a way, and this has been said on this podcast before by myself and many other people, that they're just better versions of of humans. They're a reflection of us, but they're better. And we see them in their family groups and all these other things. But, you know, I think you're on to something with the going to that, how do you feel about a whale when you're five, you know? Like how, like that passion and everything. And and I know that for me personally, I have kind of dimmed my passion or tried to not make it so known because that I, I feel that it can be immature in a sense. But at the, like, I think if we go back to that heart space and we encourage people to like 
really reflect on like why they're here. Like we're all here for the same reason. And like you and I talked about this before um, we started recording is like everybody who, nobody who loves orcas is a bad person. I don't think there's really truly any bad people. I think there's bad behavior, but like if we all realize that we're all humans, that we're all trying our best, that we all are here because we love the whales and we don't want to see them go, you know, I think we can get a little bit more done that that way. And we absolutely have to listen to the science and everything. And like, but I, I also, that's the one thing that I struggle with in science is I feel like sometimes objectivity lacks empathy and realistically like, yeah, like we can talk about the economics and the ecological reasons of why we need the whales, but like emotionally, I think we need the whales more than any of those other reasons. Yes. I, I think that's, I think that's the truth. And, and, you know, like all those other things we're talking about, um, they exist because of human constructs, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas the emotion of the situation is intrinsic, whether we're there or not, like it's, I I was talking to somebody and they were talking about how, like, if you could imagine in your head a time before, uh, colonization, Mm -hmm. like of the West coast, and you could imagine like the orca pod, like 150 strong. Mm-hmm. kind of thing you know and the coast salish peoples who are canoe people like mm-hmm. they're out in the water all the time uh having interactions with them mm-hmm. like in this in this environment that's pristine you know mm-hmm. where there's like there are no dams there are no there is no ecological mm-hmm. crisis because there is no economy right like one of the one of the things that people always forget is that the word economy has the word eco right in the very front of it there is no economy without an ecology no end of story you know the two are 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 one in the same. And so there, there was an economy and and, and an ecology before, and there's an economy and an ecology. If you compare them, you can see the problem. It's not, it's not difficult, you know? And so all those, all those things are what frustrate us away from the emotional truth. We're not saying that we need things to go back to the way they were before colonization, because that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. But we're also saying, like, it doesn't have to go all the way the other direction to a dead sea where there's no whales, no salmon, and it's just a bunch of jellyfish bobbing around in dead brown water. Yeah. You know, like, there has to be some... Middle ground. Truth truth space in between the two that, you know... And, like, like the death of of a charismatic animal family maybe holds the power to to compel the humans on land to make an act you know take action like maybe it is their specialness that is their power to you know it's always darkest before the dawn right that's what i would say to ken as well if i could speak to him i, I hope to interview him for my podcast so I'll yeah get a chance i do but, too um, but he's a hard man i would to just say like <laughs> is he yeah yeah well yeah i mean i, I, I just know, I know he's going through a maybe, lot Maybe here in this podcast, just just in reference to the episode, I just say like it is always, it, you, like in my life anyway. Personal change often took me coming right to the worst place before that change was like actually made. Oh, one hundred. But it was never too late, you know. And I think that hopefully we don't get like that same wake up call with their with their uh, extinction. I hope that this is that wake up call right now. And I think that we're there and I think that it did, it really has been dark with the Southern residents for like, I mean, for a long time, but at least the last year seems particularly dark. And I think that you're totally right. And that's like one of those things about being like a, you know, resilient, gritty person is that like you learn that those darkest, hardest things, like there's so much beauty that can come out of that. Um, for sure. Like, and some of those things that seem so scary, um, 
like losing the southern residents is scary and admitting that you were wrong and that you impacted the southern residents by you know participating in buying salmon that you shouldn't be buying or going on a whale watch boat around the southern residents or something like that like you know it's hard to do but we have to do it and like it's i think you're totally right i think we're at a turning point like i see so many things happening um behind the scenes and if we get the public on board the more momentum we have going like we will get things done like i don't agree that the that the southern residents are done i think that ken needs a little break and needs to go take care of his mental health um for good reason valid reasons like i have only dedicated about two years to the southern residents and um, like when I was making the episode about the whale watching industry, because I work in whale watching and I was reading the papers, I definitely, I mean, I spent about two weeks reading papers and there was one point, like my roommate comes in and I'm on the floor in my living room surrounded by like 20 papers. And I was literally just crying because I was like, this sucks. Like that we've done these things and that it is that way. And it can be emotional. And like, you know, I'm a science person and I've tried to pull the emotion out of it, but like, realistically, we're not here because that like economically the the whales are valuable i didn't get into this field because that you know i think that the world is going to benefit from the animals for ecological or economic reasons i got into this field because i love it and i know you're the same way and like i know that every single person in this field is in the same way like nobody's like i'm gonna go study whales because they're good for the economy like you know i don't know why it freaks people out to just say like i love an animal yeah i care about it deeply like it, like you know, so many people find another way to say that through their science or through their politics or through their whatever. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, this is this is great. This is great to talk to you. I listen to your podcast all the time, so it feels somewhat surreal to um, like talk on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm. It's all good. I'm excited that you're here and that like I, you know, I've listened to the episodes that you have sent me of your podcast, and I'm you know, I'm glad that you incorporated me in that. Like, I also feel honored. And like, you know, I think that like, this is like, this is going to be really good for people to listen to your side of it, because that's a boundary that I haven't really crossed. And I do talk about like emotions in some senses. But like, I think you really go there. As opposed to me just like touching on it. And I think that we need that because at the end of the day, humans are emotional creatures. And so are orcas. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's why people love them so much. Because we saw Tlaiqua display her feelings like to the whole world when she pushed that dead feelings. cap around. Yeah. Feelings, yeah. Like, like, you know, you can kind of like, um, think about what your dog is feeling or your cat is feeling or like, I have like a flock of uh, stellar jays, you know, mm-hmm. that intimately know every time I'm dumping my leftover rice out the door of the cabin, you know, yes. and I can sometimes think what they're feeling too, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, those orcas, I tell you, they're, they're magical. And there's so few things in life left that are magical anymore. And so no wonder they possess everybody that sees them or thinks about them for long enough. Because I think we want to be like them. Like we want to be happy and we want to be expressive, you know, we want to have those close tight knit bonds. And I think somehow or another over the course of society or whatever, that's, we've been told that that's not okay. And they still have like those, you know, animal instincts but they're you know i don't know they're still better in a way well so do we yeah we do too (laughs) so do we yeah you know what it's 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 totally it's totally weird to like say to somebody i don't want to let an animal down but that's how i feel like i don't want to let the southern residents down i don't either i don't want to let token tie down you know no 
Um, mentally, every single time, like this sounds, this sounds so silly, and I can't believe I'm gonna admit this and like let people hear this. But like, every time that I'm that I'm on my whale watching boat where I work, and I'm with an orca or around an orca, like mentally, I'm like, can you just can you tell the southern residents that like it's not over? Like I was like, can can you tell them that that like we're gonna fix this? That like it's gonna be okay and keep fighting. Like mentally, I'm just like, please let them know. Which like I'm sure that they can't do that, but like that's just like the energy that I put into it. And like, you know, I I do think that it'll be okay. I think that we need to like I think that you're onto something. Like we need to be able to have like the emotional maturity and like also like just like the ability to deal with and talk about emotions and why we're here because so much of the fact that like we have to remove that out of it the conversation to make something valid I think can can get in the way because the fact that we love the whales is enough of a reason to save the whales like 100% like we don't need all these extra Is there any greater reason that you no. should like is the one you should elevate to the top it's like wow look at this humans love another thing outside of themselves enough like that's celebratory content right there that's a huge step for humankind you know yeah we should definitely just be like but you know it's it's scary and like i'll just kind of relate this to like business right so i've come from like a kind of businessy space Mm -hmm. and inside i'm not that type of person Mm -hmm. you know like i smoke a lot of weed i am very emotionally in tune Mm -hmm. i'm definitely like a hippie right Mm -hmm. and so I'm always afraid to show that side of myself in those environments because the dominant way of being in like the world is to be disconnected. And that is what is sort of taught. And like you're, you're, you're celebrated if you can emotionally disconnect and go yes. get her done. Yes. And if, if you're like an emotional person and as a result, you consider everything and you don't really necessarily take action in the same way as just an action-oriented person, you can be laughed out of the room. 100%. The the truth and the value in, you know, that um, way of thinking is unfortunately also able to get you guillotined if you're talking in this debate, right? Because someone who's, say, representing the dams, who's a scientist, or someone who's representing the fisheries, who's a scientist, or someone who's representing some other interest group, who's a scientist, they have a different language, which they know is like the right language and yeah. the one that is defensible and right. the one that the media will portray positively, et cetera, et cetera. And then the person who's coming at it from, again, my position here is equally valid position. Equally valid, yes. Who's coming maybe from an emotional perspective. Is then, so what happens is that you learn pretty, pretty flipping fast to to not show that emotional side of yourself yes and the shame it's and so you know this is happening in this debate and and and, you know because like because the voices with the most credibility are the ones that get heard the loudest Mm -hmm. i think is people's logic and because emotions are associated with lack of credibility like somehow you can't be credible and emotional at the same time uh that that truth, which is fake truth, lives mm-hmm. in people's. It talks to them louder than their own hearts, right? And so, anyway, uh, maybe I'll just leave it on that note. I'm hoping that my podcast encourages people's people in their private listening of it with their headphones on to just have a conversation with their hearts and maybe take their minds out of it for a second. You know? Yeah, I think that that's totally valid that you bring that up, and I think it's a good conversation that you need to have, and that a lot of people aren't brave enough to have. And being vulnerable is brave, and like it's 
hard to do and trust me I feel all of those things that you have been saying I have tried like I'm a very emotional person and at periods of my life I've tried to be completely emotionally distant um for a variety of reasons to get through different experiences and or to be credible or whatever and like emotions are valid because they exist should we make all our decisions on emotion only no like but like, you know, we have to have the science in there. And I think there was one time, you know, Deborah Giles, she got like emotional on the podcast and she had mentioned to me that like, sometimes she gets like, people will say things that she's too emotional. And I don't, I would never like label her necessarily as, as too emotional or anything. But I think that's so brave that she does that. And like scientists are people too. Like, why do you think right. Ken is so depressed? Like, I mean, I don't know that he's depressed because I haven't talked to him. But, like, based on my projections of how I feel about the whales and what I've read about his feelings about the whales, like, that looks like depression to me. Um, but I think that we, you're right, we need to go back to that heart space. And also, you know, science does back that. Like, I, I've talked about Brene Brown many times on this podcast because she's amazing and she talks about vulnerability and where that's needed in leadership and things like that. Humans are emo emotional. We can't deny it. We have to address it and embrace it. And I'm glad to see you doing that. And I think that in order for us to be successful, we need to not be scared of those emotions. We need to not, like, we can't lose something permanently. Don't lose the thing that you love the most permanently because that you're not willing to admit that you made a mistake or because of some other weird human reason. This is a powerful conversation. Thank you, Erica. Yes. I appreciate it. I'm okay. ready for the entire universe to basically tell me that I've anthropomorphized these whales and that they don't have these voices and what am I absolutely like, like, you know what I mean? And I don't actually care. Like, go for it. If that's the way that you feel, if you're so cut off inside that you can't put yourself inside the mind of, of this experience for the whales, then, um, you know, that's, I can't help you. <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, just a, a, another thought, and, and we'll wrap this up so we can play your episode, but, um, like, people who make those comments, typically it's because that they know, like, that, you know, there's something, I guess, wrong there, and they're not willing to, to be open to that. And, like, I'm not saying that they're bad people by any means, but, like, you know... I, I think being closed off to that is like unscientific in a way to be like to say that animals don't have emotions because of, or don't have emotions in the same way because we can't scientifically explain it is not like that's not valid. I don't think like we can just say that we don't know. Um, but if it makes you feel better, I thought that I would get a lot of scrutiny for different parts of this podcast and that episode that I posted a few weeks ago about the whale watching. I expected to get a lot of pushback and um you know, I, I've only gotten like two messages that were kind of negative and one was just a clarifying question and that was fine. And like, I kind of had the opposite effect of like, I have, I have now have twice as many people that listen to the podcast on the first day than I used to. Um, and then, sure. yeah, which I was like, holy crap. And then I got like offered a position where I now have, have the power to, um, help, with making the whale watching industry a little bit more responsible from the inside. And I kind of feel like it was like the universe and, and like whatnot, like rewarding me in a sense for sticking to what's, you know, true. And like, you know, it just it, like, it's literally just what is true. But, and I think that you're sticking to your truth and like, you're not out here claiming, you know, that this is the only truth. You're just saying that this is one truth. And I think that yeah, that's fair. Totally. I, I should clarify. I'm not saying this is how the whales think and feel. Yeah. Uh, this is just my interpretation of it based on 
everything that you can look up and access. You know, I'm just an observer trying to uh, take all this found material and put it together in a way that is is what is happening just condensed, you know, for yes. people to consider. And part of that experience is um, anthropomorphizing the dialogue of a whale from mm-hmm. time to time. It's not always going to be in the episodes, but where it's useful, mm-hmm. um, I'll use that that technique. You know, all the found news footage, all the interviews, all the music, mm-hmm. all the sounds. Uh, it's a lot going on. Yeah. It takes me about 10 days to make an episode. Yeah, I was, when just, I listened to them, know. I was like, holy sh- Cause I know that like, I mean, I minimally edit my podcast cause it's, it's mostly just interview style. That's like the, you know, foundation of it. But I was like, that takes a long time to do what you're doing. So yeah, so um, there's like, there's some, some, some episodes have maybe 2,500 edits or more. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm excited for people to listen. So we're going to play one of the episodes that Jim has put together um, so that you guys can listen to it and then go check it out for yourself. Send it to somebody. If it's not your style, send it to somebody else. If you really feel like we're anthropomorphizing animals, but I think it's worth listening to. And like, I, my, I played some of it for my roommates too. And like, they all, both thought it was like really interesting. And, um, I think you you're on to something here. And I think that like the perspective that you're sharing is valid. And if people, like, I don't know, my friend shared a good analogy with me yesterday. She was telling me that her dad was saying that sometimes people are like crabs. If you ever see crabs in a bucket, you know, they'll climb on top of each other to try to get out. And if one gets close to the top, they'll, you know, it'll pull them down. So don't let the people, who, the naysayers or the people who want to like, you know, be negative about your podcast when you're trying to just do something different. Like, don't let them knock you down. Like, they're just crabs, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to go listen to crabs in the bucket. I think you should. Yeah, you should go listen to crabs in the bucket. But all right, enough of that. So I'm going to go ahead and play the episode now. And then where can everybody find this? Um, Like what platforms are you on? Uh, So I've just, through Anchor, put it out. It should be on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and all the other uh, podcast apps supported by um, Anchor. And then I've got a website as well, which is Sequariums Shame. Dot com Perfect. and the episodes are also there. Excellent. I'll link that in the bio so everyone can go click it and check it out. Um, but thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for the work that you're putting into this because this is tremendous. Hey, listen, um, I sincerely appreciate everything that you, you're doing. And like I said earlier, it's surreal to now be on your podcast because I have listened to it all. And I just want to say thank you. Of course. probably one of the most exhilarating experiences and I'll tell you about the first time I ever saw a wild orca um we were out on this boat I think for two hours looking for whales and then we finally found some whales and we're closing in and like my entire I feel like my whole life was like waiting for this moment for me to see whales I've been obsessed with orcas since I was a kid and like all all marine mammals not just orcas and I like I used to the thought like I hadn't even met a killer whale, but the thought of meeting a killer whale in the wild, like, I would cry, like, before I met a killer whale. Like, that was, like, that was the reality of it. And I was just so excited for that to happen. And we're, like, approaching this family of whales. He just 
huge six foot dorsal come up out of the water and holy shit it's like the craziest thing i immediately started sobbing because there are wild killer whales right in front of me and i'm just like some kid from ohio you know doesn't come from a lot isn't really going anywhere and i'm looking at a wild killer whale like are you serious right now i'm bawling my eyes out you just hear that breath you see those dorsal fins come out of the water like and and there's like so much excitement and it's like i i definitely one of the most emotional experiences that i've had 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 But there's just something about the power of an orca and like the magic that an orca encompasses. And like you feel that when you see a killer whale. This episode of Sea Aquarium Shame touches on topics including loss of a child, failed pregnancy, and animal extinction. If you would prefer not to have a listening experience involving those topics, please do not listen to this episode. It's a sad, sad story of grief and loss. For the past week, a mother orca known as J35 has been carrying around her dead calf off the coast of Washington. It's heartbreaking to see a killer whale carrying her calf who died shortly after birth. Marine biologists are keeping a close eye on an endangered orca off the waters around the southern Gulf Islands. The mother has been carrying the corpse of her calf for more than a week resident killer whale J35 is the living illustration about what's happening to the southern resident population. It's believed her family, who is also swimming with her, is sharing their food so she can eat. For hundreds of kilometers over more than 10 days, a mother orca just cannot let go, still carrying her lifeless calf through the waters of the Pacific Northwest, mourning her baby's death in a sad portrayal of the killer whale's struggle for survival. The southern resident killer whale, known as J-35, has been pushing and carrying her dead calf with her since July 24th. J-35, a mother who's been carrying her dead calf for more than two weeks. The most shocking part of this news, though, is that J-35, or Telequah, is still carrying her dead calf. The whale became tragically famous for pushing her dead calf through the water for 17 days back in the year 2018. A lot of us remember that. Remind our audience what happened with J-35 Telequa two years ago. Well, I mean, this was the story that captured the imagination of the entire world. Telequa is the most famous wild whale in the world now. 
And it's because and she tragically carried around her dead baby for 17 days. 17 and, days. Oh, she's pregnant right? again. What's going to happen? It's an exciting thought, imagining more baby whales swimming in these waters. But even though these pregnancies are good news, experts do caution that we shouldn't be too quick to celebrate. We want this new promise of a baby to cancel out the heartbreak felt over her grief ritual, but the odds are still against them. It's a picture that's led to a lot of excitement, an indication an endangered family is getting ready to grow. The southern resident killer whale that carried her dead calf for 17 days two years ago is pregnant again. While this is happy news for these endangered orcas, some experts are warning it is possible Tahlequah could lose this calf too. In the waves off Washington state, a rare sighting of a super pod of southern resident killer whales. They were breaching and playing. Among the group, a brand new baby, just a day or two old. The mother orca is J35. In 2018, people around the world were moved by her apparent act of mourning. She carried her dead calf for 17 days, 1,600 kilometers, before finally letting go. My child, I love you. Come swim with me. You have been in these waters before. I could feel you growing inside me. And with that, a growing hope of your arrival. Push, push, little phoenix. The rest of the family is waiting to meet you. Swim with me more. Look around. This is your home. These are our ancestral waters. This is where we are created and where we are from. But I need to tell you, things are not always as they may appear. This place, this beautiful place, is in trouble. You will not understand this because you are just so young. But you have been born into a world that is not guaranteed for you. As much hope as your arrival brings, we are not sure that we will be here much longer. Don't worry, little phoenix. It's a lot to understand, I know. I am a good mother. I would not have brought you into a world without hope. I know I'm a good mother. 
you had a sister. Come swim a little closer. Let me tell you about her. Four years ago, I gave birth. I carried your sister inside me for 17 months, just like you. She was alive, and even before she was born, I fought to give her the best life possible. But things are hard out here for us right now. There's just not enough food. There's so much pollution and noise. The accumulation of all of this, it was just too much, I think. Your sister was born, she was alive, but but it wasn't to be for very long. It could have been different, but it wasn't. Because this sea that we call home, this place that we swim in, it was not always this way. It was not always this drained of food. It was not always this loud. The humans that we share these waters with, they need to know what we are going through, what I was going through. When your sister died, I was so sad and so angry and felt so alone in the fight our family is in to survive. So, I showed the world. I showed the world your sister. I carried her for 17 days. One day for every month that she grew inside me. And on the 17th day, with the help of our family, who never left our side once, we said goodbye. In a ceremony in our ways, we let go. I let go. And in that moment, I did not ever think I would have a child again. But now you. Looking at you swimming so strong, so happy, so alive. You have to fight. You have to be strong. You have to do what your mother tells you. You have to listen. You have to follow along closely. I will help you grow. I am a good mother. I promise you, I am a good mother. What happened to your sister? It was not my fault. You are proof that we can survive. I love you. I will always love you. And we will swim together for the rest of our lives. You can always trust that I will be there for you. So long as you need me. So long as I am able. Now come. Swim a little faster. We have a family reunion to get to. I need to show you off. You represent so much hope. Potentially, like, I, I, there is, I mean, we form relationships with animals 
And like, like you cannot, I cannot deny the relationship that my dog and I have, and I get that that's different. But I, I think that they, they did have an emotional, you know, bond there. And I think that potentially like she was trying to communicate to her pod and potentially even to us, like, Hey, things are not okay. And like, things need to change. Like, I think it was, maybe it like, she wasn't, I think it was a cry for help potentially of like, I'm so sad that I just lost my baby and like, I'm starving and like, there's vessel noise and and pollution. And like, I think it was just a cry for help or potentially even like a, a mental breakdown, if you will. I feel like, like, what can you say? Like, what can you say when you, when you, when somebody's been wronged that badly, badly, badly? And I'm a science person, so I'm taught to be objective and I'm taught to, you know, not place things on to animals that are, you know, considered human, but I think it's very arrogant. Um, And I think it's also a little bit, um, close-minded to to say that something's not a possibility because we don't have a scientific explanation. If anything, it's a case for why science should be better to understand the emotional complexities of these beings. But it just goes to show that that's that's a being with a soul, and that's um, that's just somebody with a family, like just like you and me, just somebody with a family. She was pregnant, and she gave birth to her baby, who. Um, did not have a chance, did not live very long, and she grieved the loss of that baby by pushing it around on her rostrum or the front part of her face for 18 days straight, and it was fully covered by the news. It made national news, um, but she did that for 18 days and then eventually left it. So it was a pretty clear indication of grief in an animal. There's absolutely zero biological relevance for that experience. The only thing that can explain that is emotional. It seems like they've got everything stacked against them. There's not enough food. They need about 20 Chinook salmon per day. There's vessel noise that's impacting them as well. They're, they they can't hang out in their home range. Members of their population are dying and um, they are quite frankly on like the breach of extinction right now, the brink of extinction. There's that emotional bond there. We cannot deny that at this point. There's absolutely zero denying that orcas have emotional bonds with one another. Like you just can't, this, it's, it's not possible to deny it at this point. There is still hope because, you know, briefly we discussed that they went through whole capture era and like harpooning and all of these crazy scenarios and they're still here and they're still fighting. and. Um, now they're facing starvation and impacts of humans on the water and they're like they're going through all these things and I, I think like you know an article just got published is it too late for the southern residents and I understand why people are very much willing to give up hope but like if, if, if history is any indication of how how they're going to proceed if we all do what we need to do if we do what's right for them because they need us right now um, I think that they could survive. Um, I I think that's very much a a real possibility, but we just have to, to 
right our wrongs at this point. Ocean Sun had a daughter, Lolita or Tokite, um, that's her indigenous name, and that her daughter was taken from her during the Pen Cove captures in the 1970s. Her daughter is the only Southern resident killer whale who is still alive in captivity, and Ocean Sun is still alive today as well. My name is Erica Worth, www.ericaworth.com, and you can learn about professional background there. So um, I grew up in a small town outside of Columbus, Ohio, so square state in the middle of the United States. So I wasn't surrounded by the ocean, but my love kind of stemmed from going to the local zoo and aquarium that I lived nearby, and I just always had like a deep connection to the manatees that they had there. They were rescued manatees, and um, I think that, that those manatees impacted my life more than I could have ever imagined. Um, and just like the fact that they were rescued manatees too, I think had more of an influence on my development than I expected. But I have always had a love for the ocean and growing up in Ohio, I didn't know how I was gonna, you know, devote my life to this. I've known about the plight of the ocean and the state that our oceans have been in. And, and I, I've known early on that like, I, I felt that I was gonna have to watch the oceans die and I didn't want to do that. I genuinely believe is my calling and um, you know I I had to kind of change my attitude and face the fact instead of hiding from the pain of not wanting to see the ocean die I had to lean into it and just jump full force into it by getting involved with the southern resident killer whales who are dying and so I did that and ended up starting a podcast about the southern residents and Every day, my life is dedicated to the Southern residents. Like from the time I wake up, I like immediately woke up and, and like was just on my phone, like from the minute that I woke up. And my, um, I had a friend over and he was like, oh, like whale stuff? And I was like, yes, like immediately, first thing out of the gates. And like from the time I go to bed, it's just like whale related things constantly. Southern resident related things. There's not a day in my mind where the Southern residents aren't a part of it they aren't involved and that I'm not like doing something to try to help them. So if you could say anything to Tahlequah, you know, and to her family, the Southern residents, what would you want to say? It would be pretty simple, just, I'm sorry, and this isn't over.
She appears to be the genius of a single natural force. She is the enchantment that radiates and enraptures the senses. Her enchantment brings into the world a loveliness that moves toward delight, and all that is separated desires fusion into oneness through the manifestation of something complete in itself. Those and that are the Southern Residents. And that is Skalichaktana. The Southern Residents are people. Let's start there. I went through a major change. When I was uh, 23 years old, I was a captain in special operations in Vietnam in a theater of a war. And I was with an airborne unit. And uh, my job was, uh, don't need to go into that, but what happened on that helicopter ride when I was riding with a general and I turned to the general and I said, uh, I have a question. I said, what is it, Captain? Why are we here? I said, why are we here? I said, I'm watching people suffer. Why? And I'll never forget what he said that broke my life in half with death in his eyes. He turned around to me and he said, Captain, war is good for business. End of story. And I said to myself, dang, I'm on the wrong side. So I came back and I decided I need to go where things felt right. And that led me to work with the Lummies over a number of years and through two years on a motorcycle meeting America so I could figure out who the Americans are. And now I wound up in Indian country. My name is Kurt, Kurt Russo. I can be found on a Google search just by typing in K-U-R-T-R-U-S-S-O. And once you get past Kurt Russell, <laughs> you'll find me. After you work with indigenous communities, you start wondering, how is history made anyway? Who makes up history? So I studied that and it's really informed my thinking. So since 1978, starting with the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, uh, up through this morning. Um, my work uh, lives at the intersection of treaty rights, the rights of nature, and environmental justice. In all the years I've worked with uh, tribes up and down the West Coast, in all the battles, we never lost one. And one of the reasons, I think, for these successes is, um, boy, that's terrible. What happened with that? Maybe. <laughs> keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And that issue of being patient with persistence is such a rare commodity in 
a gadget-filled era. And it really is, at least from my little view of the world, one of the big skeleton keys to every success is persistence and patience and humility and persistence and patience and humility and comrades. Every year, there is a super pod moment and all of the pods come together and all the males on one side and all the females on the other. From one line will come a female, another line comes a male, and off they go. And the superpod stays together till they return. And the superpod is the expression of a kind of kinship. But its expression among the orcas is especially enrapturing. I call it Kualal Menchen. Kualal Menchen is the Lummi word for killer whale. That word means, in Lummi, it's translated to mean the people that live below the water. The water. The water. The water. The water. Live in longhouses in trenches, under the water. And in the longhounds, they take off their regalia. And for those that have the spiritual eyes and the ceremony to see their actuality, they reveal themselves. Those are the Southern residents. Talikwa. <sighs> Yeah, Talikwa, Talikwa's baby didn't live long. And uh, she carried it around and every time it fell off, she'd go to retrieve it and, and, and keep carrying it. It had never been observed, it had never been seen for a Kirlewell to carry a dead calf that far and that long. And she carried it and she carried it and she carried it. And she brought it up to the surface and showed it. She brought it out of the water to show it. People that know more about these beings than I do are of one mind, are of one mind than what she was doing. A, she was grieving. B, she was, she was saying to the world, look at what you've done. Look at what you've done to my baby. She was doing that with agency and intention. Anyone that's seen that footage will feel her grief. They have a whole part of their brain that we don't have, dedicated almost entirely to relationships. You said something that's true. They stay together. When, when that young orca died and when Tahlequah was done grieving, two Lummi Indians, because they are remarkably courageous women, 
Raynell Morris and Ellie Kinley, Lummi tribal members. And the chief of the Lummi's went out on the Lummi Nation's law enforcement boat and broke the law. The Lummi law enforcement boat with their officers on board and these two women and the chief went out to apologize to the Kualamachan, to grieve for their loss and to offer in ceremony live salmon. And they took live salmon out, put those live salmon into the water to feed the spirit the Kualamachan. And of course that is against the law. The uh, state officials chased after us in the boat. They were coming after us because we had live fish on boat and we were going to put them in the water to feed the orca. And the Lummi law enforcement officer flashed his lights at them, which means stay away from us. It was an action of spiritual sovereignty. Noah said to us, you can't do that again. They were told in response, based on what moral authority do you say that? Those are acts of spiritual sovereignty and they feed the spirit. The Southern residents are in peril of going extinct, functional extinction if their babies don't survive. They are surviving right now. They're a little better than they were. One of the reasons that they are doing better is that these women and their courage to, to, to face down the feds, to face down the state managers who are managing the orcas to extinction, to face them down was courage of the highest order. That is a felony. You can't feed starving orcas. It's against the law. One of the things that Tahlequah was able to do that Ocean Sun has not been able to do is to resolve her grief. Tahlequah found resolution to her grief, both in her ability to show the people that live above the water what they are doing, and to her own people, to have them, and they gather, or they stayed with her, they stayed with her during she's grieving. They stayed with her so that her own family helped her resolve the grief. Ocean's son, her daughter just vanished. Vanished. She heard, she heard her keening get more and more faint and faint. And she's gone. She doesn't know where she went. She didn't die. Her body's not here. Ocean Sun has unresolved grief. The entire Southern resident population suffers from unresolved grief. They lost a lot of their family that day, 1970, pulled out of the water at Penn Cove. So I think what, what really ties is Tahlequah shows us we grieve. We grieve like you grieve.
And with Ocean Sun is saying, I'm grieving. Where is my daughter? There is a Lummy traditional song, sung in Lummy by the Blackhawk singers, called Mother Looking for Her Lost Child. They took that song in Lummi. They had it placed by experts in Southern resident Tillerwell population frequency. They put that in that frequency in a pinger and put that pinger down in the water to 60 feet. And they played it for the Southern residents to tell them we are going to bring your daughter home. could say anything to the southern resident killer whales what would you say to them that's that's a that's a really it's a deep question i would uh i would ask them to please please keep reminding us of our sacred obligation to your people Keep reminding us of our sacred obligation to your people. I would implore them to do that. And then I would let them know there are people above that are doing all they can. And we need you to be with us to make it true. That's what I'd say to them. 